0: Good afternoon and welcome to Power for the People here on Solar Power, WERU FM, 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and uh, everywhere in our solar system at WERU.org. I'm your host, Steve Cowell. do have some uh, very interesting guests today from uh, the, the organization called Passive House Maine, but as is my normal habit, I'm going to talk about a few uh, items in the energy uh, world that have come across my desk. Uh, energy new, news that you can use. So uh, I saw uh, recently that uh, a team of researchers from the Keck School of Medicine at, US, uh, at USC have uh, done a study documenting the real world impacts uh, on human health of electric vehicles. And this is uh, early in uh, this uh, approach to doing this kind of research because we don't have uh, a good zillion electric vehicles out there. But they uh, they made the case that uh, there's considerably lower nitrous oxide in areas that have a fair number of electric vehicles, and so that's good for people that have asthma. Um, And they also um, looked at the the issue of uh, the interesting issue, a little bit tangential to the this program, I suppose. uh, But the uh, uh, the uh, environmental justice issue that uh, areas that have minorities and poor people that have not adapted electric vehicles uh, as much as wealthy places have. Uh, have still have a greater incidence of of air pollution and smog and and asthma. And so that's uh, environmental justice is something that I certainly teach in my courses uh, and is certainly an issue that uh, that we all should be aware of. I certainly hope. Second item was uh, the uh, there's a, an energy policy group called Energy Innovation. Uh, and they interestingly found that of America's coal plants, literally all but one of these coal plants cost more money to maintain than if they were replaced by solar or wind. And again, uh, to me, the the uh, our ultimate transition to renewable energy is something that is unstoppable because of market forces. Uh, and so I think this was a an interesting uh, example of how that is true. So so literally there's 210 coal plants. Believe it or not, here still in the United States, and all but one of those uh, cost more to operate than renewable energy. Uh, related to that, uh, I also saw that the U.S. Energy Information uh, Office has released information that uh, renewables surpa- surpassed coal generation in the U.S. for the first time in 2022, and just a reminder that renewables also surpassed uh, surpassed nuclear generation in 2021. So, uh, yet another example of that. Uh, we are looking at an unstoppable, uh, a thankfully unstoppable trend here. Uh, and then uh, one final one, which uh, relates to some things that I've talked about in this uh, on this program before. Uh, in the uh, the specific example is in the San Francisco Bay Area. They have a new rule that if you have a broken fossil fuel furnace. You are going to be required in 2027 to replace it with a heat pump rather than replacing that uh, fossil fuel burning device. And the, the thing that we've talked about in this program is if you have if you're the, your typical homeowner with an oil or gas fired uh, heating uh, appliance and you have a problem with it, what do you do? You call up the guy that sold it to you, who is now still selling that sort of thing. Uh, and that person is not necessarily required to point out to you that uh, you can replace it with a heat pump. And the thing that I've said for years here, if you have, even if you have an, an old inefficient uh, boiler of some kind or, or a furnace, uh, put in heat, a heat pump or two, leave the old one in place, don't replace it. And then in, in the event that you need it for a week or two in the coldest snap of the winter time, use it uh, rather than having replaced it. Uh, and that's something that the efficiency main has started to come out and, and, uh, and support as well. So uh, is that something that can come to Maine? Uh, I'm going to lobby for it personally. All right. So uh, here we are uh, with uh, with guests from Passive House Maine, which is an organization that has actually existed in Maine for the past 10 years. Uh, Naomi Beal is the executive director and founder and has been involved with it for 10 years. She's uh, worked for architects in her in her past, and so that brings her uh, logically to this uh, this place. Uh, she's also a founding board member, I guess, uh, or the perhaps the founder of the Friends School in Cumberland for the past ten years. Uh, and I think maybe you uh, will want to talk uh, briefly about uh, the, the energy issues at the Friends School as well. The uh, and then Randy Rand uh, is the training director for. Uh, Passive House, Maine has been with them only since the beginning of this year, but he also has an architectural engineering background and has been an engineering, uh, sorry, a residential builder. So these folks bring lots of expertise and experience to this concept of Passive House. Uh, Before I ask you to tell me what Passive House means and what the organization is about, starting with you, Naomi, to fill in a little bit more of the blanks here that uh, based on the, the very brief introduction that I gave you in terms of who you are and how you came to this spot.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, thanks for having us, Steve. Uh, just a couple points of clarification. I um, started my work in buildings as a photographer, so I was doing um, portfolio work for architects. Um, that's sort of my introduction to Passive House and the high-performance building. Bright-built barn, which is relatively in your neighborhood, was um, one of the first projects that I um, worked on with Kaplan-Thompson Architects. So, um, yeah, that was 10 years ago. A bunch of, a few architects and um, builders and design build professionals came together. There was just a few of us um, and started this sort of monthly site walks to various sites across the state. We had a nice representation and it was really a support group basically coming out of that Recession um, is just a a group of people who are really interested in pushing the envelope, so to speak, in the built environment. Um, I can't remember you said. Oh, the Friends School, yeah. So, part uh, in a couple years being in that, I did. I was founding board member along with many others um, at the Friends School, Portland, and that was the first passive house uh, private school campus in the state um, that opened in 2014, 2015. Um, yeah, so PESFOS Maine has been around for a good long while, but we officially became a 501c3 in about 2016, and I came on as the executive director.
0: And uh, so in looking at your website, I've see, I see there's a number of, uh, of members. Uh, one of them is Geologic, who has uh, who has been on this show a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somebody that I worked with uh, when I was at uh, uh, the sustainability director at Unity College. Um, but tell me, uh, how, what's the representation within the architectural community, it, whether it's uh, a percentage or specific examples you want to give? How, how how widespread is the concept being discussed of path- passive house?
1: Passive house across the board. Well, I've heard Alan actually say a couple of times that Passive House still tends to be niche. Mm -hmm. Alan Gibson of Geologic. Um, And I really, I actually challenged him on that because increasingly, Passive House is being adopted in much larger buildings. Um, We just did another survey of the existing Passive House, uh, the square footage that is represented by our membership. Um, And we are about, 1.75 1.75 million square feet represented by our membership. Just in, to, so, in the state of Maine? Uh, that is by our members and includes some projects in um, Greater New England, Midwest, New York. Okay. But um, in Maine, you know that the bulk of them are, are in Maine. So mm-hmm. single-family homes are maybe more niche, but affordable housing is absolutely um one of the leaders in high performance building and um i just heard a statistic recently that 50% of the passive house development uh, the multifamily affordable housing developments coming on board 50% are passive house mm. um so that represents a lot of square foot there and that's where passive house principles kind of shine in a larger building a simple building um that there's no extra cost it's just a matter of really understanding how to do the design work and the benefits are so dramatic in terms of operations costs resiliency and um sort of inter- interior health for for residents
0: and, and one thing that people uh, fail to recognize is that uh, if you insulate the darn house well and uh, you know especially to passive house standards, you can greatly decrease the cost of the of the uh, your need to to heat it the, the system the system cool. can have a hugely uh, lower cost I mean the, the folks at geologic have said to me uh through the years that their estimate is that it costs about six percent more to build a passive house than it is to build a traditional house. Uh, and yet, you're going to make up the savings probably in the first year or two in your energy costs. But I, I, I mean, what what is your sense of that number right now? Is it six percent, or is it because of the cost of the heating systems actually maybe even cheaper to do it that way? You have a sense.
1: Um, I, that a uh, number is get bandied about anywhere from five to fifteen, even. But it's like I, I think that's a it's a squirrely kind of number to chase and it depends on the size of the building. When I was talking about the multifamilies, when you get that scale, there is um, efficiency in scale for a smaller building, depending on your finishes, et cetera, et cetera. The passive house pieces of the, of that building may or may not be more expensive as you've already pointed out. So, I mean, we can say 6% and call, call it good, Mm -hmm. but it's very, you know, individual and case by case.
0: Right. Um, Right. Well, that was uh, a, a lengthy introduction there. Sorry for sidetracking you with some questions. Let's get to Randy. Uh, Randy again, the training director for Passive House, and uh, that sound uh, is that a new position, Randy? Yeah, so I
2: started uh, back in January of this year, uh, and it's a it's a new
0: position for the organization, is
2: that right? And yes, even even new new position for uh, for Passive House Maine. So
0: All right, well, that sounds really important. So uh, so again, as I mentioned earlier, you're you've got an engineering, uh, architect engineering background, and have been a, a residential builder. But tell us a little bit more about how you wind up in your, your current position.
2: Yeah, so I started out right out of college uh, working for an architectural engineering firm. Uh, got inspired originally with an architect that I worked with really closely and, um, her and I, you know, hit it off real well. And it, it was back in the day when lead, uh, was pretty popular and building to lead. And we were doing a lot of government, um, healthcare, institutional type of projects and just her, uh, wanting to understand more about how buildings work and, um, we would go through, you know, like wing nut tests. We would test different building materials in different, you know, areas. Cause we wanted to know how they were going to react, you know, in a building over time, we would soak plywoods in salt water and, you know, just do some interesting things. So it was really a great way uh, to generate my interest in, you know, how buildings work and the building science behind things. So, um, I was, uh, I did that for, you know, about 10 years, uh, and going into like the 2008 era when, you know, that entire industry started to uh, uh, dwindle out. And uh, I actually, from there, got into uh, facilities and uh, building management. So I was doing a lot of uh, indoor air quality things for a healthcare organization and really worrying about uh, modifying their systems and creating better design. New projects that were coming on, we were always thinking about uh, our occupants of the building, and and there's no better way to to do that than think about indoor air quality and uh, thermal comfort and all those type of things. So that was always one of our uh, high priorities, and and then from there, I uh, I got into building for myself, uh, doing new construction and renovation work and just carried all that those interests along with me. Um, and along that way I stumbled upon, uh, the passive house, uh, standards, uh, which, you know, grabbed at all those things I had been interested in over the years, you know, the healthy, durable and comfortable homes. So, uh, and then that's where I stumbled upon passive house, Maine, followed along for a while and ultimately, uh, uh, took a couple trainings that they started offering uh, just as general uh, uh understanding or reaffirming some understanding making new connections that type of thing uh, and uh, when they were looking for somebody to organize those trainings i was kind of thought that sounded kind of interesting and we uh we were able to make it work out
0: all right, well good. So so with your background in the uh, construction industry, uh tell me how widespread is the concept of I'm even going to be less specific than passive house, but what uh, what is your experience with uh with contractors doing insulation properly just to start there.
2: <laughs> so, um I'll I'll cover it on the passive house side. I mean, recently just attending um uh, both Uh, the JLC conference in Rhode Island, which is uh, a national builder show and also uh, IBS out in Las Vegas uh, this year, running into other builders while we're there and starting those conversations and just introducing, you know, just having that general conversation is one of the best parts of it. But I'm, you know, often asked, you know, what type of building I do and passive house and high performance always comes up. And I, often get uh looks back that they don't even know what it is yet so um so there is still that lack of um understanding or even knowledge of uh that there is a higher standard out there Uh, so but they start everybody that i end up talking to you know recognizes the need um and wants to learn more so we actually get into some pretty in-depth conversations about what it is what's involved you know just some general understanding and i feel like they leave our conversations you know wanting to do something different or wanting to make a change to the way that they bill.
0: Mm. well i mean one th- one of the uh, messages from this program is uh if you are doing an energy project hiring somebody and i'm again this is mostly uh, being a message for homeowners Do your homework, ask questions, see what they know, and get some references because there's people out there who, as you just said, lots of people don't even seem to know what the passive house standard is. Um, We talked briefly before I went on the air about a couple of issues that I've had. Uh, I mean, one example in my personal life, uh, I was doing a a new garage and I filled out the forms for the community that uh, said you need to have your frost wall insulated to R11 well, in fact, I was going to have a, a master bedroom above the garage, and so I wanted to, to exceed the the uh, the requirement. And so uh, the contractor who was doing the project had, a, had a, a cement crew come out, and I said, so I'd like to have uh, two inches of foam insulation on both sides. And they said, we won't do it. We've never done it before. We won't do it. And so I did it myself Thanksgiving weekend by flashlight after dark. Uh, and it's like geez, I, I, you know, I, I signed the form, I said I was going to do this. Uh, and, uh, and that was the, the answer they came back with. So mm-hmm. I guess similar question to what I just asked Randy, uh, Naomi, about uh, his experience in the contracting business. Tell me about where, I mean, you, you hit it at this a little bit uh, at the beginning of the con- conversation, but tell me a little bit more about where you see the general population of architects being relative to high performance buildings.
1: Well, I fully acknowledge that the people that I work with in my day-to-day maybe don't represent the mainstream yet. But I think increasingly, especially with um, the affordable housing um, push, that there's um, a, a really nice range of architects and builders who are committed to decreasing carbon and energy costs Um going on our website, PassFastMaine.org. You you, we have a directory there that, ha- that lists um, upwards of 200 members that uh, are working in that realm, in this realm. Um, you know, we. Th- I think that, as Randy points out, some people uh, haven't heard of Passive House or they've heard of Passive House and um, they think it's extreme or they've heard of passive house and think they've already got it Mm. or they've heard of passive house and they know it's the standard they want to chase. They know it's what they want to do, but it's too expensive or they want to do, or they haven't quite figured it out. Um, So we, we kind of um, in all of the years that we've existed sort of represented an ideal in a way that that, um, builders, even if they're not quite there, or designers, even if they're not quite there, they uh, can see what could be. Mm -hmm. And we've sort of accepted that role as um, being the horse to chase, so to speak. Um, I'll say the trainings came, were developed because of Maine's um, changing of the building code. We sort of lagged the energy code lag. We moved from the IECC 2009 and jumped to 2015, um, just a couple of years ago. And there was a, that's hard for people who weren't really used to paying attention to air sealing or doing an actual blower door test to, confirm what they're doing. So we developed a series, you know, so our sort of flagship training was getting to code through passive house principles and sort of answering the traditional builder and saying, we understand that this new code is a little overwhelming or, you know, annoying. It's uh, um difficult, but we have been working in this realm for a long time. We have strategies, we have materials. We have ideas to help you get to the code, and it's not as overwhelming as you think it might be. So helping traditional builders get to sort of a more high-performance level is the basis, the foundation of the training program that we developed. And we're so grateful to be able to hire uh, Randy as a director, as a direct um, result of the governor's energy office, clean energy partnership. We received... Some funding to set up that program in a more building off a pilot program that we developed last year and um, setting up a more stable and um, consistent, well-funded program. We're really appreciative mm. for that, that partnership.
0: So well, you mentioned building code, and that was something that I did want to bring up uh, in this program. Mm. Uh, and here's a, here's a question that I don't know the answer to is the building code now statewide or are smaller communities exempted from it as they have been in the past?
1: Not exempted from it. It's a common misunderstanding, but, um, and Randy, you can probably follow up on this, but there's no requirement to have it inspected in towns 4,000 and less, which is a huge majority of the towns in Maine. But in fact, people are supposed to build two code even in those towns.
0: Okay. And, you know, having talked to contractors about this sort of thing through the years in Maine and in New Hampshire, uh, I mean, everyone has said it's so confusing to have multiple different versions of building codes out there. It actually would be very helpful to have a standard uniform code. So I'm glad to hear that that's the case. Uh, It does mean that somebody could cut corners, you know, in a small town. That's what it sounds like. And and they're not going to, they're not going to get caught, so to speak. Does that sound right, Randy?
2: Yeah, that that's essentially the case. Is that it's like, um, you know, it's mandatory. the The adoption of the code is mandatory for all these towns. Whether they have to uh, have that enforcement or not uh, is a different story. So, you know, there is the advantage of uh, those that don't understand or haven't. Uh, uh, been up to date on the codes that they might be, uh, you know, building to a, to a standard that's not acceptable any longer.
0: Hmm. All right. Well, so I, I just want to
1: clarify, Steve, that, that, um, in Maine, we've all, we've had a universal building code move back the main universal building code, um, that has been in place for a, a good long while actually. But, um, so that is a universal code. And what's a little bit new now is that we also have a stretch code. So municipalities, even in Blue Hill, Bangor, municipalities can adopt the stretch code as their um, stretch code in the same way that Portland has done, and South Portland is about to do. Actually, Freeport just voted in favor of um, adopting the stretch code as well, and that is uh, closer to pass/fail standard, but is not definitively not pass files But it's um. A little bit more, a little bit tighter air sealing and um, increased insulation.
0: So that, that, that's that sounds like it's there's in effect. If some towns are adopting something that's more stringent, there is kind of a double standard out there relative to contractors' uh, knowledge of what needs to be done. Well, tell me what the stretch code is. I've not heard that term before either.
1: Uh, that is, um, it's defined at the state level. And right now, the stretch code is the IECC 2021 um, energy code with very few modifications. And the new the new codes, as they are um, released, will have a will be slightly different. But it's just slightly increased um, air sealing and insulation mm-hmm. standards. Okay. And and Randy, I don't know if you want to be more specific about that.
2: Yeah. So as of right now in Maine, we're at that 2015 um, IECC code requirement for residential buildings. Um, And the stretch code for those towns that want to go above and beyond is the 2021 standard with some minor uh, alterations to that. So the good thing about that and approaching the stretch code or the more stringent, uh approach uh is that it's still a very similar process in getting to these um insulation values or air sealing values it just takes that little extra detail so it doesn't change the philosophy of it all at all or or the approach it's just you know going a little bit beyond
0: mm-hmm. um,
2: so it doesn't really complicate uh the process to go above and beyond too much
0: okay. all right well so, so- we 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 launched into some details here before, perhaps uh, uh, setting the baseline for where we at. Tell me a little bit, uh, either one of you or both. Uh, what is the mission of passive house? And then let's define passive house so that listeners who may not be familiar with it can understand what the heck we're talking about. We have kind of gone off the off the rails here quicker than we should have. So mission of mission of passive house, and then what 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 defines it?
1: So PassFouse Maine is um, committed to our sort of direct quote, committed to decreasing carbon emissions and dependency on fossil fuels and um, costs for winter heating in Maine. We are actually in the process of amending that to heating and cooling or conditioning, like including the fact that cooling is increasingly an issue as part of our uh, indoor conditioning. Sorry, what was was the next thing? Our mission and... So
0: mission number one, and then number two, how do you define passive house? uh, Yeah, What are the characteristics so that people can understand that?
1: Passive house is actually super specific um, and defined by three metrics. Um, There's an air sealing. Right now, our code is set at 3ACH50, passive house, uh, air sealing, uh, leakage requirements are... um, not more than 0.6 ACH-50. And then there is a um, energy calculation, like total energy, um, which is about 38 kBTU per square foot per year, and uh, conditioning heating load limited to 4.75 kBTU per square foot per year. So um, that's, Actually, the international code, the um, FIAS code is some variation, very close variation of that. But um, the sort of beauty of PASFAL's approach is that you have these target numbers you're trying to hit, but there's real flexibility about how you get there depending on which windows you use, what kind of insulation you use, what kind of orientation you have to the sun. Um, You know, there's various decisions, many, many decisions you can make. To um, to reach that
0: standard, mm-hmm. and perhaps the ultimate goal in the in the passive concept is to uh, create a, a building that is is situated relative to solar gain and is uh, insulated such that maybe even it doesn't need a heating system at all. Is, is are you trying to get that far?
1: Um. Well, I don't. I think the heat pump backup is perfect, or even uh, you know a little electric resistance is totally great for. For that backup, I wouldn't want to say that anybody's aiming for no heat. There's always heat, and there's also always ventilation so that there's nice fresh air that's controlled and um tempered, you know, as it comes in and out of the build- building. Um yeah, the goals for passive house exclusively are to reduce energy load. Right. Then when you add on renewables and whatnot, it's totally bonus. But the goal is to start with um, reduction of energy load. And I wouldn't say that the goal is Southern exposure because you don't want to, you can definitely build a passive house that is with a Northerly exposure. Hmm. You know, there's just various strategies. You don't want to limit yourself. If you have the opportunity to sort of catch a little bit of that Southern sun, that's a bonus, but certainly Northerly is okay.
0: A couple of examples that I know of, and then Randy, will come back to you. Uh, There's a building that whose name escapes me right now, but it's been we've uh, we've had the folks from the Portland housing, public housing uh, group on this program. uh, One of the buildings in uh, Bayside, Uh, to your point, Naomi, you know, at least some small, you know, baseboard heat. Um, The the apartments have, I think, a two foot piece of of radiant baseboard and they forget the heating costs per year. For these uh, apartments is 125 bucks. Um, yeah. We built, we had a a, a, a passive house, a small dorm at Unity College, and we figured it it could be heated for a couple hundred dollars a year, and as much of that was was domestic hot water heating uh, than anything else. So those are the kinds of things that it's it's possible to strive for uh randy let's let's talk about uh you can follow up to the question we were just talking about but ultimately i'd like to get back to your role as the trainer in terms of who can get involved with you why uh those sorts of things yeah i'll, I'll start with
2: my um uh, <laughs> my biggest things about passive house and what i think is important as the design it always comes back to the comfort the durability and the health of the building in my you know, the way that I look at it, you know, we want to design these buildings, obviously, to meet those requirements, the heating demand and the energy demand uh, requirements and the air leakage. But the ultimate goal of hitting those numbers is for the overall comfort inside the building. um, And the durability of how long we're going to by approaching those things, we're going to make our buildings, we're going to go back to building houses that are you know are gonna last a hundred years opposed to um you know a lot of these bills that we've seen new construction over the last 30 years you know have um had moisture issues or mm. mold issues um, and when we look at a lot of these um approaches to passive house we start to solve a lot of those and it helps with the understanding even if you're not building to passive house those principles really help us understand you know the process of building even at other levels building at code level um, and that's what we try to bring those those principles back into our code trainings um, for that reason because they really help uh, builders understand uh, an approach to you know building comfortable building durable and uh having healthy building indoor yeah. uh, air for buildings so um yeah, so what we're doing with our trainings right now, we have, you know, a handful of trainings that we're we're a traveling training show, where we uh, we come to a town near you type of thing. Um, we've got about twenty trainings scheduled uh, for this year of twenty twenty three. Uh, our our primary uh, training program is meeting Maine's energy code. Uh, so this is like an introduction. To uh, code changes that are coming uh, in the energy code for 2021 as Maine looks to adopt 2021 this summer. And uh, we cover the 25th, our current codes, and then uh, look at the differences between them. We have great presenters uh, during these trainings. So we have designers, uh, architects, um, Experienced builders in the passive house uh, world. Uh, we have energy auditors, uh, so we really
0: the home, homeowners ever attend these
2: Yeah, so we get quite a uh, array of attendees from homeowners to code officials to uh, builders to students and uh, salesmen within the lumber industry. You know, trying to understand what they're recommending. To uh, builders or homeowners, so um, realtors, we really hit well, a real an array. Not so much, yeah. yeah, yeah. So we really hit an array, or try to hit an array of uh, participants that uh, can benefit from it.
0: I, I spoke to uh, Marita a number of years ago um, before I actually went to Unity um, about uh, energy-related issues, and so uh, you know, realtors are such an important. Uh, component, it seems to me in terms of selling uh, buyers on the wisdom of energy efficiency and solar panels and all those sorts of things. So i um, mm-hmm. glad to see that. So, uh, and you, you say you've got 20 uh, sessions set up and people can go to passivehouse.org and find out where they're yeah. going to be?
2: Yeah, listed right uh, on our uh, uh, passivehousemain.org uh, website. You can follow the training link and all our trainings are listed there. Um, and our next ones are um, coming up in Bangor, Greenville, and Madison are the next uh, few that would follow this programming.
0: Is there a cost or for this, or and can people get CEUs? And does that matter in the industry?
2: Yeah, right now. Uh, so, as Naomi mentioned, that we have funding through the state uh, energy office uh, for the class. So they are affordable. We, uh, we're offering the, the trainings. It's a one-day training and it's a $25 fee. Um, so it's very affordable and it doesn't limit anybody from uh, attending. And if there is a limitation there, please reach out also, we'll always uh, help in other ways. And uh, yeah, a one-day class, we provide lunch, uh, great conversation, a lot of good networking uh, options uh, are available. You know so
0: and speaking of Madison uh the the uh, folks at geologic are working on uh, I believe about ready to market wood insulation through the Madison yeah. mill uh do you have any uh any update on that or any opinions on that
2: yeah it sounds like uh Timber HPs uh getting ready to uh, start producing their um blown product here anytime now and releasing it to the public. I believe it's this month. I haven't got an official update on that, but, uh, I believe it's coming this month. Uh, we're pretty involved with, uh, timber HP or they're pretty involved with us. They, uh, uh, enjoy what we're teaching and spreading the word. We've had uh, a few of their member, a few of their team, uh, actually be presenters at some of our trainings. So, um, they're involved on our end. I really enjoy, uh, their product is it's a it's a vapor open product so we can really design uh, wall assemblies with that product that uh, you know promote drying and uh, creating a healthier wall assembly so
0: and just uh, again we did cover this on this program a few months ago uh, and again I just heard that it was about to become commercially available it's something that's been available in, as I understand it in Europe for a very long time but it's literally this is the first time it's been available about to be available in the in the in North America so that's uh, that's exciting and good for it, the main economy as well
2: yeah no doubt it's it's very exciting to have another option uh, for insulation particularly something that's local uh not to mention something that stores carbon opposes to um, emitting carbon during the production and uh, overall lifespan so
0: right Naomi let me put you on the spot here. Uh, I'm uh, amongst other things, I'm a lake guy. Uh, I worry about lake water quality. And I'm so I'm pleased that there is such a thing as a certification for contractors working in the shoreland zone. With that uh, analogy or lead in, uh, my understanding is that Maine is one of the least has one of the least requirements, or maybe there's no requirements for certification for contractors who do buildings.
1: Is that part of anyone's conversation? Should it be? Well, I think it's part of a lot of people's conversation, for sure. And I would, um, I think it would be good for for Mainers. I have a lot of faith in Maine's builders, and I think the trainings that we're doing right now are um, just meeting a hunger that already exists. People want to know, want to learn, want to do better. I, I want to underscore the um, effect of having Timber HP's product made locally. Also, because you mentioned that that's been wood fiberboard's been available from Europe for years, um, and we have imported it. There are many buildings in Maine that have been insulated with wood fiberboard imported from Germany. Really, and it's expensive, and it has this sort of taint of being sort of from away. But as Randy pointed out, it's um, actually an amazing product, will be really, really great for Maine's buildings. And to be able to teach about that product, use that product in our demonstrations and also be able to say this is supporting Maine's forest economy. It's just an amazing, it's a great leverage point to encourage the use of that product. Um, Yeah, so just to say I I have a lot of faith in um, main builders, but there is a lot of learning to be done. And certification might have a positive impact on um, actually getting that learning um, to happen. We we can't be um, haphazard about the way we're building buildings when we're talking about tightening them up. Um, Proper ventilation has to be part of that building and proper wall assemblies have to be a very uh, careful and thoughtful part of the building and it could be useful. I mean, there's certainly certified Passive House trainers. Uh, Randy is one of them or uh, Passive House trained, sorry, certified Passive House builder. Randy is one of them. And um, upping that up at the to the state level, I think is actually not a terrible idea, but there's discussion about how best to do that.
0: Right, and even if it's not mandatory, if somebody can can uh, hold up their certification, it's going to help a homeowner or a bill, or an owner, uh, somebody proposing to build something, to at least understand that that person knows more than you know somebody just uh, down the street. So, I know, think you've you, mentioned
2: you, it, Steve. Uh, also, I said I think you've mentioned it also, Steve, a, a couple times in that you know homeowners, you know, if they take that extra step and do their education and ask the questions that's that's what's going to happen right now make sure you're asking the questions that you know to your builder that or potential builder that can help distinguish whether they're qualified or not um, asking if they have an understanding to an air barrier strategy or uh, the different uh, energy code type of uh, knowledge I think is valuable and asking if they've taken the passive house main you know meaning, Meaning mage code is a great question that a homeowner could ask. Um, and it's a great way um, that I think we can start changing the industry too, is if homeowners start asking the questions, they may not need to know the answers hundred percent, but uh, the more that they're educated on um, a lot of these strategies, the more that it'll help the building industry too, because then it's just going to bring that awareness to the builders and uh, have that requirement that's coming from, you know the end user that's going to drive their motivation to uh get the additional education or, or do better or find other ways to do things other than that's the way i've always done it
0: right oh, there we go that's the way we've always done it you know don't get me going on that one so uh, i mean i think the, the words that uh that you to paraphrase here you talk about comfort and durability comfort is such a big deal i mean Uh, and then the fact that you're actually going to save money. I teach a course called towards a sustainable society where those are the three things that I talk about. And then I actually assign the students to go talk to their parents to get information on the, on their, the buildings that, that they grew up in. And it's amazing how, how often they'll come back and go, wow, I just learned so much from this course and from asking my folks about uh, what's going on in their, in their particular houses. So, uh, just a quick reminder: you're listening to Power for the People here on WERUFM 89.9 in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and my guests today are Naomi Beal, the executive director of PassiveHouseMaine.org, and Randy Rand, who is the training director. Uh, and uh, we are actually uh, running low on time already, and so we're only scratching the surface here because there's just so many things to talk about. Uh, but Naomi, let me just ask you a question back to the building code that we were just talking about a minute ago. Your uh, your website says that uh, the goal is to have passive house as the minimum building standard in the state of Maine. Tell me about that minimum
1: concept, which I love. <laughs> I, I, I want to answer that question. Um, well, I mean, we're trying to get to net zero by twenty thirty, right? That for our buildings that's one of our goals. So the quicker we reduce the demand. The better off we'll be for new buildings, but I also want to make sure that we don't leave this conversation without saying specific, talking specifically about retrofit. So we have, you know, however, maybe a thousand new new buildings, but we have five hundred and fifty existing, five hundred and fifty thousand existing buildings in the state mm-hmm. of Maine, and with all of those, most of the, the vast majority of those need attention as well. So um, code is critical for um, new buildings, but the issue of how we're reckoning with um, Maine's existing building stock, which is some of the oldest stock in the country, heated overwhelmingly by number two heating oil, and, um, you know, combined with having the oldest population, some of the oldest population in the country, paying attention to the existing buildings is a critical piece of what we are uh, thinking about retrofit main as part of House Maine. main, um, and retrofit Maine is about doing projects that you that you just have described, Steve, about trying to get to net zero through a renovation. What does that look like? What kind of products are you using? Well, what kind of ventilation are you doing? We're we're uh, we're
0: down to like ten minutes. Let's in fact focus the rest of the program, perhaps, uh, on indeed retrofits because, as you say, there's there's uh, half a million units out there uh, that are in need of retrofit. I mean, efficiency Maine last time I checked uh, wanted to do a few thousand a year. Well, it's going to take us a long time to get to half a million if that's uh, that's where they're going. So uh, either one of you start off here if you're you're imagining you're a homeowner. A homeowner wants to improve their efficiency. What's uh, what's the first thing they should think about doing? Oops, you're 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 muted, Randy.
2: Of course I am. <laughs> the the great uh way to get started is always uh with an energy audit. I believe uh, uh and there are been, there are uh grants out there are, uh efficiency main to do uh, energy audits. So there's help to get them done, but it gives a homeowner an understanding on how their uh, existing building is performing. So it's a great first step to uh, determining the next step forward. Uh, Then after that, uh, the key is to come up with an overall strategy for the entire house, not to just think about the one project you're getting ready to work on, but that full strategy, to solve the, the complete uh, home and try to spell that out uh, upfront. That way you can say you're doing your kitchen renovation. You know what you need to do as part of that renovation to approach your overall goal for the entire performance of the house. You don't have to do it all at once because there are many challenges when you're retrofitting a house you know, the cost is obviously uh, one of the largest hurdles to overcome. You know, you're dealing with a lot of unknowns uh, with an existing re- uh, with an existing home and retrofitting it. The complications of just uh, having access to all the components of the house, structural members, or trying to reduce thermal bridging, or doing things that you really had no control over originally. So those are hard things to overcome. Uh, so they're coming up with that original strategy uh, is is pretty big.
0: Right. And, and again, it does need to be I mean, a house, a house is a system. And so right. you need to think about how the system is working as well as your individual you know kitchen renovation plan, how that can, can fit into it uh, for sure. So, uh, so energy audit uh, makes a ton of sense. And last time I checked, uh, well, so I have efficiency main on this program probably once a year, so that we can revisit what those various things are. I think it it may be there may be an income issue here, but I think energy audits are either free or greatly subsidized at this point. Uh, Naomi, you mentioned uh, in talking about some of the things we were talking about earlier. You mentioned ACH fifty. Uh, ACS just refers to air changes per hour, and that's kind of the information you'd get uh, right off the bat in at, at an energy audit. Um, tell me, and I'll, let me just, uh, I guess I'll just say in my own personal experience in, in uh, retrofitting a 1948 house, uh, I insulated the attic, which had none. I insulated the basement, and in both cases, well, sorry, the basement I did with expanding foam. The, the north slope on my roof I did with expanding foam. And I used to have to scrape the heck out of it, and I had ice dams. I haven't had an ice dam in five years, uh, you know, another another advantage. Um, but relatively in the system concept, you know, doing my walls doesn't is not practical at this point. But if I've stopped the air from come, going out the roof and I stop it from coming in the basement, I greatly increased my, uh, my comfort level and the energy efficiency of the home without touching the walls. So things like that, thinking of the system, uh, really does matter. What's what's your perspective on the various types of insulation? We talked about the wood uh, insulation, but tell me the big picture of the other options that are out there. Randy, I guess I'm looking at you for this one.
2: Sure. So there are a lot of different options. Uh, The thing is to be able to understand and have a a reliable contractor, I think that understands uh, the effect or the change that they're going to make on your home by adding that exterior or adding that uh, insulation to your attic. You know, now how is the home going to operate differently? You know, what are you doing to the underside of your roof, uh, your roof surface? Are you causing potential mold or moi- uh, moisture issues, which you can do? I mean, our, our old housing stock has been able to breathe for a long time on its own you know, and by changing something, we could make uh, additional complications. So uh, that's where, you know, a good understanding uh, and having a good quality uh, contractor become a big important part of it. Um, I'm a firm believer in a lot of uh, vapor open assemblies. So making sure that whatever we're doing, we're still allowing our building to uh, allow uh, the transmission of moisture. Uh, in multiple different directions Um, that way it helps uh, with the drying potential or if anything does get wet we say we build to a a standard and we don't want water to get into our buildings but it's going to happen and if we don't address that when it happens or create an assembly uh, that can dry then we can cause a lot more problems so uh, insulation products for me that are important are those those uh, assemblies that include a vapor open system, so that's where this, the wood fiber is going to become an important thing. Um, there's like rock wool, comfort board, those type of products that allow uh, uh, allow that transmission to to happen is is key.
0: And some of them, like uh, like the rock wool, are actually fire resistant too, which is certainly not true for a lot of different types of of insulation.
2: That's right. when you start dealing with spray foam, yep yeah, when you start dealing with spray foams, then now you're adding an, an, another coating, you know wherever you're leaving that product exposed, you have a flame spread rating or flame spread and uh, you need to cover it with a product that's you know fire resistant. so right, right. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
1: I just wanted to um, point out that those vapor open options are also carbon storing. And we re- that's a, a risk right now of um, we, we need to find the balance between renovating and retrofitting the buildings that we have and not creating even deeper carbon holes. So we want to make sure that the materials that we're using are um, solving both problems. And there is definitely a place for some applications of foam, rubble basements might be one of those places. But um, there's the vast majority of the work that we do really has to be carbon conscious. I mean, 100% of the work has to be carbon conscious. Right. So um, that's a, I just want to underscore.
0: And, and that uh, yeah. we're actually down to about two minutes just so, uh, so we all know. Um, and uh, that does remind me that uh, if you're worried about uh, heating and using fossil fuels, the the flip side of a warming economy is that all of a sudden we're going to be doing cooling and potentially using fossil fuels off the electric grid. And so we now have a double reason, if you will, in almost year round for increasing the performance of buildings uh, and reducing the, the, the energy use. Absolutely. Uh, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say absolutely.
0: So let's uh, in the minute and a half we have left. Uh, Randy, just give us uh, tell, tell tell us about let, let's start with bat insulation and tell me about your other perspectives on what's good and what uh, maybe should be limited in its use. And yes I so do this, say, on this program I do say when I say bat insulation I'm spelling that bad Sorry, go ahead <laughs> <laughs> So
2: uh, yeah uh, bat insulation is a tough one uh, it, it it takes good quality installation it's it's hard to get um uh areas that aren't failure points for a lot of different uh applications so uh going to something that's uh, gonna fill your cavity making sure it's installed right and ease of use i think that's you know bad insulation is it's hard to uh hard to do that with so you know you start getting into some of these New the wood fiber uh, that's going to fill cavities or uh, the rock walls and that really are easy to use and to fill cavities. I think they're a great way to insulate a cavity uh, and affect uh, overall durability of the home. So mm-hmm. um, yeah.
0: All right. Yeah, well, again, yeah. we uh, as often happens on this program, we haven't made nearly as much progress uh, as uh, we could have made. We've run out of time. Uh, so you have been listening to Power for the People here on WERUFM eighty nine point nine in Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor. And the guests have been Naomi Beal, Executive Director of PassiveHouseMaine.org and Randy Rand, Rand, the Training Director. Uh, And as we mentioned earlier, uh, you can go to PassiveHouseMaine.org and see their upcoming training sessions. I'm going to check that list and hopefully we'll see you there in the not too distant future because I really want to hear what you guys have to say. And it certainly seems to me uh, because we didn't come anywhere near uh, finishing that uh, we need to get you guys back on. At some point to uh, explore this further. So thank you wonderful. so much, uh, and uh, glad I ran into you, Randy, uh, down at the, the Green Energy Show in Portland. And uh, we will uh, we will be back in touch. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks so much. Thank Steve. you. Mm-hmm.